Shalom Lachem, Erev Tov. We are continuing in the introduction of the Rambam to his Mishneh Torah. Specifically, we are talking about the life of Rabbi Eliezer ben Hulkanos. You can, there are many ways to pronounce his name. Hulkanos, Hulkanos, Hulkanos. I don't have a preferred way. If somebody wants to find out for me the exact way is proven by one source or another, I'll be very grateful. For right now, we left off yesterday about how he made it from the son of a farmer all the way to the world of Torah and Yerushalayim becoming the primary disciple of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. We're in the PDF that's titled Rabbi Eliezer ben Hulkanos. It's attached to your Zoom invitation at the bottom. And this personality that is Rabbi Eliezer is not just the story of a person who becomes Tamichacham. But it's a story of how any person at any age in life can decide to turn themselves into a Tamichacham. You know, in general, there's a debate whether it's a Tamid Chacham or Tamid Chachamim. And then the plural is Talmidei Chachamim, but is the singular Talmid Chacham or Talmid Chachamim? It seems that in the camp of the Rambam will be Yosef Kafich, they use the term Talmid Chachamim, whereas by Gedolei Sefarad that I heard Talmid Chacham. They have different meanings and different connotations, but I use them interchangeably. Rabbi Eliezer starts off as a person who seems to not even know much Torah at all and makes it to the top of the food chain in Yerushalayim. This story is not just a success story, but it's one that I'm not certain that our modern Jewish society would even allow for. Imagine somebody starting off until the age of 22, working in a field. And by the time they're done, I don't have high standards anymore for the chief rabbi, but imagine if we were in the generation of... of, uh, and and he makes it to the top being the chief rabbi in Eretz Israel of all the Jewish people. This is exactly the story of Rabbi Eliezer. Like I told you yesterday, it has parallels to the life of Rabbi Akiva, who's the next generation. Rabbi Akiva, who also grows up, though perhaps much more ignorant than Rabbi Eliezer, and makes it to the top of the Jewish community. In today's world of dynasties, of power, of money, of institutions. I'm not sure that an individual person who becomes a Tamil Chacham, in, in the, many of the Orthodox communities, you even have a divider. Are you an FFB? Or are you a BT? Are you from from birth? Are you a Baal Teshuvah? There's all these crazy titles people use. For, some people even use them for themselves. I mean, people tell me, hi, I'm a BT at the beginning. I was wondering which language they were speaking because I'm not familiar with that word. But then someone translated for me and Shalom Yisrael, now I understand. What am I supposed to tell you that what I did too and tell you about Teshuvah also? You know how many Yom Kippurim I spent uh, doing Teshuvah for things? But in our world, I'm not sure that a story like Rebbe could happen. But let's see just how far he made it. Because he didn't just make it, he made it in the major leagues. Let's go back to the encyclopedia that I sent you yesterday. And you'll find on page 93, on the right column, 
עוד בימים שלפני חורבן הבית. In the days before the destruction of the Bed HaMikdash. בחיי רבן יוחנן בן זכאי רבם, while רבן יוחנן בן זכאי was still alive, נחשבו כבר רבי אליעזר וחברו רבי יהושע לגדולי הדור. Both רבי אליעזר and his colleague רבי יהושע were considered the giants of Jewish society at the time. Remember רבי יהושע, because as much as he is a friend of רבי אליעזר, ultimately they will become not rivals in the sense of competition, but opponents in the sense of how Jewish history plays itself out. שניהם היו מוזמנים בבית אבויה, אביו של אלישע בן אבויה. Both of them were invited to the house of אבויה. Who's אבויה? Who's רבי אלישע בן אבויה? Who is he? Student of Rabbi Meir Balanes. Tell me about him. He became אחר. What does it mean אחר? Someone tell me the story. I'll read you a story. I want to thank Uziah um, Obadia for sending me this source in English. Elisha ben Avuya once told that on the day On the day of his Berit Milan, the day of his circumcision, his father prepared a feast and invited all the outstanding people of the time, including Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. After the food and drink, those gathered sang various songs and played a game of alphabet. One would recite a verse of the Torah beginning with an Aleph and another immediately answered with a verse beginning with a Bet. This is a way in which people have fun. They test each other's Pizukim. I was once in a bus with a Yemenite bus driver. Why am I talking about a Yemenite bus driver? I only say people's edah uh, for a priest. Yes. I was with him on the bus, and he, I think his last name was Yardin, if I remember until today. Obviously, that was not his name in Yemen. And he decided to play a game on the bus. He would start Pesukim, and he would look for people on the bus who could finish his Pesukim. And here you have a guy without a kippah on, driving a bus, more, it was a religious bus route. So all the people on the bus, was they called it a Mahadrin bus line. And he was the only guy who knew all the Pesukim. Of the significance of Rabbi so they, they played this game of Alibed. Rabbi Eliezer then said to Rabbi Yoshua, while these people devote themselves to their affairs, let us devote ourselves to ours. They began to discuss various interpretations of the Torah, and they derived as much joy from it as if the Torah had only then been handed down from Mahal Sinai. So again, you see in the life of Rabbi Eliezer ben Hukunus, this relationship to Hal Sinai. A cloud of fire then descended from heaven and surrounded them. 
Elisha's father, Avuya, said to them, what are you doing? Would you burn my house down? But they replied, we devoted ourselves to finding new interpretations to the Torah, which was given in fire. Then said Avuya, if the power of the Torah is so great, I shall devote my son to it when he grows of age. Unfortunately, Rabbi Elisha ben Avuya, his father does dedicate his life to teaching him Torah. He becomes one of the outstanding Talmudai Chachamim. A student of Rabbi Meir, no, a rabbi of Rabbi Meir, Balhanes and others. And unfortunately, the rabbis changed his name from Elisha Baravuya to Acher, the other one, from the other side. The one who abandoned everything that was sacred to us and finds himself on the wrong side of Jewish history. Much of Kabbalistic literature is dedicated to uncovering the complicated personality. In my days in Yerushalayim, hanging around some people who were of Kabbalistic uh, persuasion, uh, much of the conversation there was dedicated to trying to see what really happened. What was that Pardes? What was that experience that changed the four rabbis who entered the Pardes so drastically? But for today, I'm not talking to you about a Pardes. It's not my place to speak right now about that. Rather, this was the story that happened with Irbi Yoshua and Irbi Eliezer ben they were the students who carried out the coffin of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai when he went to meet the Romans. They were the ones who carried him. His shkeda, his, his dedication to Torah, his diligence was tremendous. He says about himself, Nobody ever entered the Bet Midrash before me. I never slept in the Bet Midrash. And I left no one in the Bet Midrash and left. And I never spoke idle chatter. And I never said something I did not hear from my rabbi in my life. We learned this yesterday. He emulated all of these character traits from his rabbi, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. But when they would ask him a question, so as great and tall as he was, when they would ask him a question in a matter that he didn't learn from his rabbi, he would answer, Not I don't know, but I didn't hear. I didn't hear this be answered by my rabbi. Like we find in Masechet Yoma, that he just ignored even the question in the first place. He tried not to answer it. There are 300, about 300 halachot from Rabbi Eliezer in the Mishnah. It's a tremendous amount of halachot to author on one's own. And there are many more hundreds to the Baraitot and the Talmudim. I think it would be Yosef Masas writes about the number of, let me find this. Rabbi Yosef Masas quotes from the Otsar Israel. Have you heard of Otsar Israel before? I just recently got my hands on a set from the 1950s. Otsar Israel, there was a famous rabbi, Eisenberg, Rabbi Eisenbach, something along those lines. They called him the Baal HaOitzres. He wrote many Otsarot. Otsar Avikuchim, Otsar Midrashim, Otsar Israel. He, wrote, he was the rabbi who was publishing encyclopedias, right and left. 
You can find many of encyclopedias on Hebrew books, including the one I mentioned. The Rabbi Yosef Masas quotes from that encyclopedia was very commonly quoted in the rabbinic world of the last century. And in fact, the reason I own it is to look up things that other rabbis, like Uziel, keep sending me down the rabbit hole to go find things in the encyclopedia. I bought a 10-volume edition. I found one that was printed just a few years later that was a 5-volume edition, but it's okay, they're all the same thing. It is what it is. It takes up more books shelf space. His name is mentioned. Shin Yutet. What's the command of Shin? 300. Yud? 10. 10. 319 places. Like the name Eliezer plus 1. Now, what do the people who do Gematria do when you have a plus one? Yeah, you're allowed to have a plus one, a minus one. Rabbi Yosef Masas says, V'siman ladavar amarti, I made a siman. It says, V'shem ha'echad Eliezer. In the Torah, it says, In the name of the one was Eliezer. Who are we talking about? Eliezer, this, right, we're saying his name was, was, I don't think we're talking about Eved One second. This was the son of, of Moshe Rabbeinu and Tzipora. So this says Rabbi Yosef Masas, The name of one son was Eliezer, meaning, meaning he says, it's an allusion to the fact, Notrikon v'niskar shemo mishnayot, v'shem, v'niskar shemo mishnayot. His name was mentioned in the Mishnah, Ha'echad ve'Eliezer, one and Eliezer. Okay, it's cute. Uh, you want to remember that Eliezer's name was, was mentioned in the Mishnah uh, 319 times, which is Eliezer plus one. Great. So now, that's a tremendous amount of halachot for any person to author, but the Eliezer you're going to see later, is especially unique that he authors that many Mishnayot. Ve'afad piken, nonetheless, he tonen b'sha'at p'tirato. He complains in the day of his death. I have studied much Torah. And I have taught much Torah. As much as the Torah is that I have studied. I have not taken from my rabbis even as much as a dog takes away from the ocean when he licks at the ocean. How much water does a dog lick from the ocean? Imagine he's not talking about an ocean. Let's say he's talking about sweet water, kineret, the sweet water. Yeah, he's licking from the kineret. How much water does a dog lick out of the kineret? Five cups. Let's say he spends his whole life by the kineret. How much does he take away? It's insignificant compared to how much water is there. And my students only took away from me this phrase is used in many places, some are more comfortable than others. Uh, there's a Rashid that I'm thinking of, if you recall, uh, 
Here, he's saying, when you take, you know, ladies have these tubes of lipstick. The tube of lipstick, when you take out the lipstick, there is residual lipstick that's left in the, in the tube, correct? He says, my students have taken from me as much as the residual lipstick that is inside of the lipstick, I don't know what it's called, lipstick dispenser, the tube of lipstick, that's how much they've taken from me. By the way, it'll be Yosef Masas when he records this midrash here. He says, All of these things that he said are very, very deeply exaggerated statements. Why Yerubiyah feels the need to say that? I don't know. But I can tell you that if he would say that today in most Sephardic communities or even Ashkenazi communities, he'd probably get thrown out in his face for being a heretic who says that the words of our rabbis are very exaggerated. That's how far we have come. I'm actually surprised the editor of this edition, while he was busy deleting sections of Rabbi Yosef Masaz's writings, managed to leave that sentence inside of there for another time. As Yerushalayim is destroyed, and the Sanhedrin is now stationed in Yavne, he finds himself among the Chachamim of Yavne. And you find him taking a very important role in all of the deliberations of the new Sanhedrin which is sitting in Yavne. He was considered one of the four Chachamim in Yavne who were proficient in numerous languages. He even participates in many political assignments. Rabban Gamliel, who is the prince of the Jewish people, you still find him traveling back and forth to Rome, clearly uh, consulting or, or advocating on behalf of the Jewish community at the Romans' hands. And Rabbi Eliezer is often there, traveling with him, presenting to Rome, likely because not just of his wisdom, but of his experience and his ability to speak many languages fluently. He's not a regular person. He's a very gifted, talented individual. Rabbi Eliezer likely finds himself, though, in a little bit of a different Sanhedrin than he would have liked. If the Sanhedrin is all about creativity and innovation and adapting Judaism to post Beda Migdash destruction, Rabbi Eliezer, some suggest, finds himself, though a brilliant scholar among colleagues, also finds himself bitterly opposed to the new way of life that is the Jewish community. Adaptation and innovation don't match so well with a personality who says, I never said something that I did not hear from my rabbis. So what do you do when there's a new conversation in the Sanhedrin? What do you do when someone is trying to change that which you heard from your rabbis? This is going to lead him to a very complicated relationship with the other members of the Sanhedrin, and ultimately to a very tragic end of a story which we will spend almost all of next week discussing. Right now, let's talk about his success. Mekom Yeshivato, 
היה בלוד, לוד, איך אומרים אבא? לוד. If you look in Masechet Sanhedrin, page 32b, our rabbis discussed that his betadin, which was in Lud, was one of the most impressive betadin of the time. Because he was such a great chacham, and he was very wealthy, how did he become so wealthy? From his father, from his father's inheritance. Meaning, he inherits his father. You shouldn't be surprised then. He ends up marrying into the royal Jewish family. And he ends up marrying Ima Shalom. I mentioned today in the afternoon. Ima Shalom is a beautiful name in the Bukharian community. This name is prevalent. Ima Shalom, the mother of peace. He marries the sister of Rabban Gamliel of Yavne, who is now the political leader of the Jewish people. He is sitting on the Sanhedrin of the Jewish people, married to the sister of the prince of the Jewish people. Eliezer ben, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hukunus didn't just make it from farmer to Tamit Chacham. He made it from farmer to Tamit Chacham, to member of the Sanhedrin, to the head of his own prestigious Bedin and Lud, to marrying the sister of the prince of the Jewish people. As I told you at the beginning of the Shi'u, I highly doubt that in contemporary Jewish communities, this success story could ever happen. An example? The closest thing we have, though not a Jewish concept, but the closest thing you might experience in the Jewish world to dynasties, leadership, royal families. I mentioned to you a story yesterday about being invited to a Hasidic wedding. Think of Hasidic rebbe's. Now, I'm not telling you they're our model for a Jewish life. But just imagine, if you were a Hasid, in a Hasidic community, what would you have to do in order to become the next Hasidic Rebbe? How much Torah would you have to study? It's a caste system. You could never upgrade it. it My wife is looking at me like I'm crazy. Can you say it louder so they can hear you? It's a caste system. It doesn't matter how great you are, you're still stuck in your square. No matter how much Torah you learn, it could be that the Rebbe doesn't even know how to learn Torah. No matter how much you know, no matter how successful you are, you will never be the next leader of this community. And so, what does it help to know? What does it help to learn? It's not even a glass ceiling. It's like a brick ceiling, cement ceiling. I don't know what it is, with reinforced iron bars in it. You can't. You just can't grow beyond that. Rabbi Eliezer Haya Adam Takif Me'od Be'ofyo Rabbi Eliezer was a very, very harsh, not harsh, a very takif, powerful, strong, sharp individual. Vaya Ma'amid al-Dato V'lo Haya Ma'avir al-Midotava Rabbi Sayyid Ta'anid that he was not one who liked compromise so much. Rabbi Eliezer always stood up for what he believed was correct, and that was to his detriment. This character trait of his, to always stand up for what he believed was true, ultimately brought upon him much disaster and, and ill. I can't tell you more today, because then we'll never end. 
But I want to read to you one Midrash to talk to you about his success. Next week, we're going to talk about the failure. The painful failure of Rebeleza ben Hulkanos to retain his seat at the table as a member of the Sanhedrin and what price we pay for that story. But for right now, I want to read to you a Midrash. Just so that you realize, you see, when a person falls, how, they, how hurt they get depends on how high they've grown. If you're walking on the street and you fall, it could hurt. But not the same as if you're walking on the curb and fall off the curb into the street. My brother, my younger brother, once broke his wrist off of a two and a half inch curb. He fell, broke his wrist. If you're standing on a table and you fall, that's even worse. If you're standing on a table that other people are holding up, like some crazy people do at weddings. But when I, at my wedding, I told the band that if anybody lifts me on a chair or on a table, they should stop the music. I've officiated in Chupot, where someone at the wedding has to go to the hospital. When I was living in Israel, a wedding that I went to, the Khatan fell off the table, broke his leg, and spent all of Sheva Bachot in a hospital room. For what reason? So some clowns can imitate Cossacks and dance with people on the table? We're not Cossacks. We're Jewish people. We'll dance, be happy, and sit in your chair. Good. You have to pick up a chair. You jump on top of a building, Chasron, person can't make it. In order to appreciate just how hard Rabbi Eliezer was hit, you have to see how successful he was and what the rabbis of his time considered him to be. I want to read to you a piece of Agadah. Rabbi Eliezer finds himself to be sick and he's very frustrated at how sick he is. He almost feels that he is trapped inside of a body that's not willing to work with him. He has so much to give and so much to teach and so much to do, but he's too sick to do any of that. So Masechet Sanhedrin, it tells us on page, you know, let's look at it together. Why don't you open up Masechet Sanhedrin? So go to Sepharia. You want to click on Talmud. You then want to look for Sanhedrin. So Sanhedrin will be in Seder Nezikin. Scroll down a little bit, you'll see Sanhedrin. And you want to find yourself on page 101a. So we're at Sanhedrin 101a. You want to scroll down to where it says uh, section 11. 11. Let's go to 13, actually. Why not? I, I want to learn the whole Gemara with you. I just, uh, we would sit here and do Masechet Sanhedrin. We could be here for the rest of our life. This is, we're still in class like 50-something of the introduction to the Rambam's Mishnah <laughs> Torah. That's how it works around here. Okay. It says here, Tanur Banan, our rabbis taught us, when Rabbi Eliezer bin Hukunus was sick, Nichnesu Arba'a Zekenim Levako. Four of the elder sages entered to visit him. Rabbi Tarfon, but they're not necessarily elders. These are, are actually younger sages. But Zekanim, as the rabbis of Sanhedrin says, Zekanim, Zekana Chuchma, wise men. Levakho, they entered to visit him. Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Bazar ben Azariah, Rabbi Akiva. Na'ana Rabbi Tarfon ve'amar. You see a man, he's sick. What do you do? You try to encourage him. 
Rabbi Tafon says, Tov atali Israel, you are good for the Jewish people, greater than a raindrop. Because a drop of rain only sustains and nourishes this world. And you are Rabbi. Your Torah, your personality, nurture us in this world and in the next world. Now it's Rabbi Yoshua's turn. You are greater for us than the sphere of the sun. Because the sun's rays shine us in this world. And you are in this world and the next world. You are better for the Jewish people than a father and a mother. Because parents are in this world. You provide us benefit in this world and the next. Now, all of you who are familiar with the personality of Rabbi Akiva are probably aware that he's always having the opposite emotions than everybody else in every given situation. Which Gemara am I thinking of, guys? That's right. He, he always sees he's on the Bed of Mikdash, Harabayt, destroyed Bed of Mikdash. All the rabbis are crying and he's laughing. And they say, Rabbi Akiva, why are you laughing? And what does he say? If the first part of the prophecy came true, that the foxes are in the Holy of Holies, the second part of the prophecy that the Bed Mikdash will be rebuilt and the Jews will return to Yerushalayim, the prophecy of Zechariah will come true, now I can finally believe that because the first part took place, the second part took place. Actually, why not? If you, if you go look up for a moment, go up to section 11, I'll read it to you. Amar Rabba Barchana, Rabba Barchana says, When Abil Yezer became sick, his students came to visit him. Amar lehen, he said to them, There's an intense wrath in the world. They began to cry. Rabbi Akiva was laughing. It's reminiscent of another story. Why are you laughing? He says, You tell me why you're crying. I'll tell you why I'm laughing. Could it be that a Torah scroll, like Rabbi Eliezer was compared to a Torah scroll, could it be that he is suffering and we will not cry? That's exactly why I'm laughing. So long as I see from that my teacher's wine does not spoil, his flax is not suffering, his oil doesn't turn rancid, his honey doesn't spoil, I would say to myself, what would he say? that maybe my rabbi is receiving his portion in this world. He has so many good things that he's receiving his reward in this world. And now that I see my rabbi suffering, I'm happy because I know that his reward has not been given to him yet. This is already a conversation that's not for us. Let's scroll back down. So here in 17, Rabbi Akiva hears all these people saying, Rabbi Lezer, you're greater than the rain. Rabbi Lezer, you're greater than the sun. Rabbi Lezer, you're greater than parents. Now what is he going to say? Something good? Rabbi Akiva responds and he says, 
how lucky are you that you get to suffer? It's such a good thing to suffer. Amar lahem, Rabbi Eliezer hears this, and he tells his students, Samechuni, lift me up, sit me up. And I'll hear the teachings of Akiva, my student. And he's trying to tell me that what I'm suffering through is good? He says, how do you know that this is good? This is already an interesting pasuk. He shows you that Menashe, the king of Israel, who is Menashe? Menashe was the son of Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu was the most righteous king we had, perhaps. And Menashe was the exact opposite. You find, and you skip already to page 101b in section 2, that even though Menashe was the son of Chizkiyahu HaMelech, he didn't do good in his life, though he was his son. There are many people whose sons and daughters don't follow in their path. What made him do Teshuvah? What made Menashe do Teshuvah? Suffering. Suffering. Suffering causes people to shape up and do better with their life. Rabbi Yosem spends much time here, maybe three or four pages, interpreting what's so special about, what's the, what's the argument here? Why is one saying he's like rain, one saying he's like sun, one saying he's like parents? Really, today is not a class in Agadata, but when we get a chance to get through Sanhedrin and Agadata, we will do that together. But what's Rabbi Akiva? Pshat, what is he doing here? Everyone is saying to him how good he is, how great he is, how amazing he is. What's Rabbi Akiva trying to do? He's giving meaning to his suffering, which is actually the biggest consolation. That's exactly what Rabbi Yosef Masah says. Rabbi Yosef says, everybody is praising him, and they're only making him feel more miserable. I'm so great, I'm so important, that's exactly why I'm suffering, because I can't do what it is I need to be doing in the world. Comes along Rabbi Akiva and he says, no, Rabbi, don't get confused. The suffering that you're going through is good. It's a good thing. I'm giving reason for your suffering. Now, there are people who don't get comforted from people telling them that they suffer for a reason, correct? I'm not telling you that you should go around telling people, you know, this happened to you, what's good for you, it happened to you. My grandmother, my mother's mother, whenever something would break in the house, ah, kapagat avonot, or you'd get, ah, kapagat, everything was kapagat avonot. Okay, but some people who are really suffering, it's not just a broken glass, they don't feel good. You start telling them, you know, in a previous reincarnation, you were this, and you're suffering in this world. Nobody appreciates that. I mean, it's not, don't tell me that. This is not the right way. But this discussion between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Eliezer Menokonos obviously was on a completely different caliber, just on a pshat level. You see... He wants to hear. He's interested in hearing this. And this is something that you see two things here. One, Rabbi Akiva being a contrarian is what makes him the Chacham that he is. He's always able to see things differently than other people see them. Perhaps, perhaps what Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokonos likes so much about him. The ability to see perspective differently. But the second thing that you see here, the second thing you see is just how precious he was to Chachamei Israel. Rabbi Eliezer, we're going to learn about next week, gets thrown out of the Sanhedrin. Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokonos is not thrown out of the Sanhedrin because he's not good enough. We're going to understand one of the most difficult sugiot, in my opinion, in rabbinic history next week. And what a person needs to remember is that to the Chachamim, this man was one of the greatest sages who ever lived. This man was like the sun. This man was essential to the world like rain. This man 
was as dear to them as a father and a mother, even more dear. But his history, his story, it ends on a very different level, on a much more bitter level. B'zalat Hashem, next Monday and Tuesday, I plan to dedicate ourselves to the story of Tanuosh and Achnai, the famous oven of the Achnai. I want to ask you, I rarely do this in the Shi'u, to do a little bit of homework and to prepare yourself for exactly what is going to happen. And if you look in Masechet Baba Metziah, page 59a, there's a story there about an oven, the purity and impurity of an oven. I'm asking you to take this next few days and read this story. But don't read it like a regular person reads it, please. Sit down, learn it well. Click on whatever commentaries you're feeling comfortable to go through. Think about it in your own mind. The story hurts. It's only the tip of the iceberg. But there's a lot of Hashem will help you that much more when we understand the Shi'u next week, Monday and Tuesday, because we're going to be jumping neck deep into the story of Rabbi Eliezer's ultimate excommunication from the Sanhedrin, his abandonment sent back to where he comes from, the burning of all of the things that he considers to be good and pure, and the war, essentially, that Chachamim must wage against him to keep Judaism the way they needed Judaism to remain. But that is all a topic for next week. For right now, if anybody has any questions or comments, anybody needs to go for the first...